This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on the 19th Sunday after the Feast of Holy Trinity. The text, Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8, Jesus healing a lame man and forgiving his sins. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast or to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from a translation of Luther's House Postles, by, published by J.A. Schulze, publisher of Columbus, Ohio in 1884, a text and translation that's in the public domain. First, the Gospel lesson, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And Jesus entered into a ship, and passed over, and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he unto the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose, and departed to his own house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled, and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. So far the Gospel lesson, Luther's Sermon. This gospel teaches us to note particularly the good tidings which God had granted us, that we may here on earth say to each other, Thy sins are forgiven thee, so that with the people here spoken of we may marvel and glorify God, which has given such power unto men. And it is indeed a great power that one Christian may say to another, My brother, be of good cheer. You have a gracious God. Only believe the assurance which I give you in Christ's name. And it is as certain as if God himself had said it to you. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Such power, as we hear, originated in Christ and is now given unto men, especially to those who are in office and are commanded to preach the gospel, that is, repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Other Christians, although they are not in that office, also have the command, in case of necessity, to comfort you when you are troubled on account of your sins and say, why are you troubled? I, as a Christian, assure you that you are wronging yourself. God is not unmerciful unto you. You are, for Christ's sake, to put all your trust in his grace. You are to comfort yourself as surely with these words as if Christ spake them in person from heaven. All now depends on this, that you accept such assurance and hold it to be true that God is merciful unto you for Christ's sake. This we here learn from the man sick with the palsy. In the first place, the Lord admonishes him to believe, saying, Son, be of good cheer, and doubt not, thy sins are forgiven thee. As soon as the palsied man believed these words, his sins were really forgiven. Thus we come into possession of the forgiveness of sins in our day also, when the servant of the church or any other Christian assures you, God is not angry with you, do not you be angry with him, because he has, for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ, forgiven you all your sins. 
You should, therefore, with all confidence, trust in this assurance and suffer yourself to be torn into pieces rather than to doubt it. For if you doubt the absolution, even if it were pronounced over you orally by God and his holy angels, would profit you nothing. Where there is no faith, there God is considered a liar, as though he did not tell us the truth and would not fulfill his promises. May God in mercy deliver, graciously deliver us from such unbelief and sin, although the devil is a real expert in leading people to consider God a liar and to distrust his promises. But where the heart believes, God is honored with the glory which is most pleasing to him. For then we regard him to be true, as a Lord who cannot lie, though he spake of things which seem to be altogether impossible. Hence the Lord is especially pleased with the people who trusted in him that he would help the man with a palsy. Therefore he very kindly says, My son, you are sick. The devil has caused your palsy, and God has, on account of your sins, given him permission to do so. Therefore you have a troubled conscience and begin to think that God is angry and do not know how to help yourself. When God's visitation is heavily felt, it is natural to be greatly troubled. But my son... Do not give way to such thoughts of your heart, so to ask, What does God care for me, and who knows whether he will be gracious unto me, and what am I before God? Do not look upon your disease, but listen when I tell you, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Therefore, draw the conclusion, palsy or no palsy, my sins are forgiven me. In this faith neither palsy nor any other disease shall disturb me. Thus the word and faith must be together and neither can exist without the other. He that believes without the word has the faith of Turks and Jews, who also say that God is gracious and merciful, but they have not the promise, and in fact do not believe that God is gracious unto them for the, and forgives them their sins. For God will not be gracious outside of Christ. A Christian, therefore, must believe that God is gracious, not merely to others or to a few favored persons, but to him in particular, forgiving his sins for the sake of his Son, Jesus Christ, the Mediator. And again, whoever has the word and no faith is not benefited by it. Therefore the word and faith must be joined together, like husband and wife, and not be put asunder. A fanatic believes that the day of judgment will come in four weeks. Such a belief is nothing but a lie, for it does not rest on the word. A Turk expects to enjoy the salvation of Mohammed, but his expectations are false, as they have no word to rest upon. So the Pope believes that a Christian must be raised to heaven by his works, but this is a false faith, for the word and promise is wanting. Thus a person may have faith, but if the word is wanting, it is a false faith and a delusion which amounts to nothing. For us Christians, the word is not wanting. By the grace of God we have it full and pure. But we lack faith that holds to the word, whilst those who have not the word believe more firmly. The devil and our innate depravity draw us away from the word of truth and induce us rather to believe the untruth. Therefore it is difficult, even when we are in possession of the word, to guard against unbelief. Our reason, flesh and blood, will not trust in the word. They want to see, feel, and touch what is to be believed. This is the work of the bad spirit. He causes sluggishness everywhere, else we would be more cheerful and confident. 
Be assured, if we could truly and firmly believe what Christ says to the paralytic and what he has said to you and me in baptism, in the words of absolution, and in daily public preaching, that we have no reason to fear God's wrath and displeasure, we would leap for joy. Would not all things then become to us pure sugar, gold, and eternal life? But the fact that such is not the case is an evidence that the old Adam and the devil are always engaged in keeping us from faith and the word. Therefore, learn that both must be together. You must have the word and lean in faith upon that word, and as much as possible banish all doubts. Then you shall have all that the word promises and all that is needed for both soul and body. Those who are without the word find it easy to believe because it is natural to believe falsehoods, and the heart is more inclined to them. For this reason also the Pope and his adherents believe very strongly in masses, in the merits of saints, in intercessions, in monastic vows, in singing and fasting, etc. But this is a false and deceptive faith, and they, if the expression may be allowed, are prostitutes and knaves. The heart is a strumpet, the false faith is a knave. But we, who thank God, have the pure and holy bride, since the word is pure and holy, cannot believe so firmly though we should stoutly believe. They should not be firm in their faith, because they have no word. It is the fault of the devil, and our old Adam, that we, on account of our natural depravity, have been led away from the word and the truth to believe lies. So we should learn from our gospel lesson that, in the first place, we must have the word, and then, secondly, that we should firmly believe it. For then it will prove itself to be the power of God by which we have forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, and help and comfort here and hereafter. Wherever the word is not, people may also have faith, but it is a faith like of the fanatics, Anabaptists, Turks, Jews, and Papists. It is a faith without the word, such as an inborn, such as inborn because of the fall of Adam, that is, a lying faith to which we by nature can cling more firmly than to the word of God. After our dear Savior had been thus teaching the man sick of palsy and had forgiven him his sins, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth, because he forgives sins. This also is an important point to which we should give an earnest heed. All fanatics and heretics, as we see, are in error and do not understand how sins are forgiven. Ask the Pope and all his dignitaries concerning the effect of absolution, and they will not be able to answer. The doctrine upon which the whole papacy rests is this, that grace is infused into man by a secret power, and whoever would obtain it must be penitent, confess, and render satisfaction. But when they are asked concerning the use of absolution and the office of the keys, they will tell you that these are an external order which is observed in the churches. They do not make forgiveness of sins dependent on the word and faith, on which alone they must depend, but on contrition, confession, and satisfaction. This, however, is a wicked doctrine by which the poor people are deceived and misled. Thus also the Anabaptists say, How should baptism cause forgiveness of sins? It is a mere handful of water. If we are to be cleansed from sins, it must be done by the Spirit. Water cannot do it. They separate forgiveness of sins from the word, and do not believe, as the pious people in our text say, that such power has been given unto men. Also the errorists concerning the sacrament say, In the sacrament of the altar we have mere bread and wine, therefore forgiveness of sins cannot be obtained by it. This must be granted by the Spirit. The flesh profiteth nothing. 
In short, no heretic, no priest nor monk has been able to see that forgiveness of sins is a power given unto men, as stated in our text. Learn then to speak thus of the matter. It is true, and I know and confess that God alone can forgive sins. But I must know also by what signs I may ascertain that my sins are forgiven, or what the means are by which my sins are forgiven. The Holy Scriptures teach me, and all Christians, that if I desire forgiveness of sins, I must not sit down in a corner and say, My God, forgive my sins, and then wait for an angel to come from heaven to tell me, Thy sins are forgiven thee. For God has promised to come himself and assure me of the forgiveness of my sins. This is done in the first place in holy baptism. There we have the command to baptize in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In addition to this command, we have the promise, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But you say, baptism is just water. That's true. But it is not mere water. God's word is with it. Again, when you go to your pastor, who has the special office to this end, or any other Christian, and ask for comfort and absolution, and he tells you, in God's stead I declare unto you the forgiveness of all of your sins through Christ, you may be sure that your sins are really forgiven through such external word. For baptism in the word will not deceive you. This doctrine has not been preached in the papacy and is not taught by any papist priest to this day. Therefore, thank God for this grace and learn that God will forgive sins. But how? In no other way than we read here, he that has given such power unto men. So Christ here makes use of this power and commands that it henceforth be used in the churches to the end of time and that repentance and forgiveness of sins be preached in his name. Thus everyone should seek forgiveness of sins among men and nowhere else. Here alone it can be found, for the Lord Jesus promises, Matthew 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall loose here on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, John 20, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. God will not permit everyone to build a flight of steps or a ladder of his own into heaven, that he will attend to himself. Therefore, if you would have forgiveness of sins, go and be baptized, if you are not baptized already. If you are baptized, remember the promise God then made, and be not unbelieving. Again, go and be reconciled to your neighbor, and then come and ask for absolution. And when you hear the assurance of the forgiveness of your sins in Christ's name, believe it, and you will truly have it. Then go also to the Holy Sacrament, and receive the body and blood of Christ, do all this to the end that you may be certain that this precious treasure is meant for you and is yours for your enjoyment. We should therefore not despise baptism, absolution, the preaching of the gospel, and the sacrament of the altar, but use them for the purpose of seeking and finding forgiveness of sins thereby. For this purpose God has called your pastor, your parents, and every Christian around you, and has put his word into their mouths that you may receive comfort and forgiveness of sins through them. And though the words of absolution are spoken by them, it is not their word, but the word of God. Hence we ought not to despise it, but firmly rely on it. Therefore, when a servant of the church baptizes a child after the command of Christ, you hear a man speak who in his person is a sinner like you, yet he is acting according to the command of God. And when he says, I baptize thee in the name of the Father, etc., then hear and receive these words as though God had spoken them. So, when your sins are forgiven in absolution, do not doubt that God himself has done it. He himself decides then and there that you shall be loosed from your sins. 
To be well informed concerning these things is of great importance, because the shameless and vexatious sectaries will continue to contend and to cry, Water is water. This they do not need to teach us, we know it quite well. But this they do not know, that the word of God is connected with such water. For this reason it is no longer mere water, but a divine water, which is not given by the servant of the church of himself, but at the command of God, in order that we may be relieved from the burden of our sins and be born again and received into the kingdom of God. As now God has given the word, which is not ours but his, he also gives us faith in that word. Both are his gifts, not merely the word but also faith. Hence, forgiveness of sins also is the work of God, although he confers it through men. Accordingly, we are directed to seek forgiveness of sins in the word which is put in the mouths of men and in the sacraments administered by men and nowhere else, for nowhere else can it be found. But the works which I perform are far different from the word and works of God. This everyone might understand. How then come the impious papists to seek forgiveness of sins in their own works? When they come at the day of judgment, and present their works and merit, Christ will ask them, But where is my word? Did I not appoint in my churches baptism, the sacrament of the altar, absolution, and the preaching of the gospel, in order that men thereby might receive forgiveness of sins and be assured of my grace? Why did you not make good use of these means of grace? Then you would not have failed, but relying on your works, you shall and must be dis disappointed. Therefore mark well these teachings and learn what forgiveness of sins is, how you can be assured of it, and where you are to seek and find it, namely, that you are to seek it nowhere but in the Christian church, which has the word and sacraments. In these means you shall surely find it, and not in heaven, as the Pharisees think, who accuse the Savior of blasphemy because he forgives sins, which they say no one can do except God. Guard against such errors. Rather say, God has enclosed forgiveness of sins in holy baptism, in the Lord's Supper, and in the Gospel. Yea, he has laid it in the mouth of every Christian when he comforts you and assures you of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And you should accept and believe all as if you, like the paralytic in the text, had heard these assurances from the mouth of Jesus himself. Hence it is a great and dangerous mistake of the sectaries and fanatics to sever the word from forgiveness of sins. This might be done if it were a word of or water of man, but we here have the word and the water of God. Whoever takes this from the people or explains it away certainly robs them of forgiveness of sin. Therefore the Anabaptists and other fanatics of lost forgiveness of sin, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, the Christian Church, and other Christian works, because they reject the word which they hear from their neighbor and do not esteem it any more than the bellowing of a cow. Yea, if God would see proper to speak through a cow or any other animal, as once he spoke through an ass, we should never despise that word, but recognize it as his word. Why then should we despise it when men speaks at the command and according to the ordinance of God? Though you hear but the voice of men, you nevertheless hear God and receive forgiveness of sins, if you only accept and believe the word which you hear. I have thought proper to refer to this in order that you may be prepared for the errorists and be able to defend yourselves. In popery, these teachings are altogether unknown. 
There it is held and taught that if a man falls into sin, he is not benefited any more by baptism. But if he has a desire for the forgiveness of sins, he must confess and do penance for his sins by good works. Thus they teach concerning repentance, and this doctrine the devil does not oppose because it does him no harm. It is true, I have reason to repent and to be sorry on account of my sins, but by doing so I do not receive forgiveness. But by what means then? Only by this, that I pay attention to the word and promise and believe, and that whenever the Lord Jesus speaks to me by his appointed servants or any other Christian, I depend on his word and not on my penance and sorrow. But they turn things around. They do not consider the fact that the servants of the church and other Christians speak at the command of the Lord Jesus, but only behold their own sorrow and repentance. But thus they lose Christ, and all Christ is. And therefore it is impossible for them properly to comfort and to assist a troubled soul, because the word by which alone they could help they have lost, and now point people to their own repentance and piety. But you learn to speak about forgiveness of sins and also to teach others that God speaks to us in baptism, in the absolution, from the pulpit, and in the Holy Supper, through the servant of the church and other Christians, and that we should listen to them and believe them. In this way we find forgiveness of sins which had been altogether suppressed in the papacy. Not a letter of it is written in all the bulls of the Pope. They only point to sorrow, as though forgiveness of sins depended upon that. May this suffice concerning the words that God has given power unto men to forgive sins. Let us now refer briefly to the narrative in our text. The man sick of the palsy is a picture of every sinner. It is the nature of this disease that the person afflicted with it has no use of his limbs. It is impossible for him to draw in a foot or a hand. They rather will stretch out the more in effort, it, uh, as effort is made to draw them in. Hence Aristotle compares such a man in his ethics with the rude and impudent youth who can neither be tamed nor managed. But the most suitable interpretation of this disease is to refer it to the self-righteous. For the more these endeavor to approach God and to reconcile Him, the further they are removed from Him. And when they imagine that they do the very best, they are doing the worst, because they have no faith. Whoever therefore wishes to be delivered from this disease, let him come to Christ. He will help in a marvelous way by merely saying, My son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Such words strengthen joints and members so that they may again bear and support each other. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there the wrath and punishment of God must vanish, and he is no longer displeased with our works. Yea, because sin has been removed, we are prepared to perform good works indeed. This the Lord wants to teach by referring to the man sick with the palsy. This man was lying prostrated on his bed, stretching forth hand and foot after the nature of the disease, but when Christ commanded him to arise, he arises. Hale and hearty. And whilst before he had been carried on the bed, he now carries his bed and goes to his house. This the Lord wishes us to notice and to take for a pledge that he has power on earth to forgive sins. The reason that he says, upon earth, is that he does not want us to gaze to heaven for the forgiveness of sins, as the Pope teaches, nor hope after death and in purgatory to be delivered by the works and merits of others. For here it is written that forgiveness of sins is a power given unto men on earth, and that this power is applied when we baptize, administer the sacrament, absolve, and preach from the pulpit. 
and it is resolved that whatsoever is loosed on earth is also loosed in heaven. And again, whatsoever is bound, that is, excluded from the word and sacraments, is also bound in heaven. This power by which we bind or loose does not interfere with the honor of God, nor are we to be made gods thereby, as is said by silly people, for we have nothing more than the office, and this does not reach any farther than your faith. If you believe, you have it. If you do not believe, you have nothing. Hence God has united us by this office. If one Christian cheers and comforts the other, it is the latter's duty to believe the word when spoken to him in its purity and accept forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake. This is the true road to God and the forgiveness of sins. Whoever leads is led this road will die a happy Christian. But those who die according to the doctrine of the Pope, depending on the intercession of saints and the merits of other men, will not die a happy death, for he has not the company which God has appointed and sent unto him, that is, he is without the true word and absolution. And though he has baptism, he does not know how to derive comfort from them. This calamity the devil has brought about by popery, and now tries it anew with the fanatics. He cannot endure the word, and is very it is very offensive to him. Therefore, the Pope has done away with the word and has instituted monastic orders, masses, pilgrimages, indulgences, etc. These the devil can stand very well because it does him no harm. The Anabaptists also help along by speaking contemptuously of water or of baptism, and no less the errorists concerning the doctrine of the Holy Supper, by maintaining that in the sacrament there is nothing but bread and wine. All of these have lost the word. Therefore beware of them. And be assured that forgiveness of sin is not to be found except in the word. And again, this word is in baptism, in the Holy Supper, in absolution, and in the preaching of the gospel. And therefore they contain forgiveness of sins no matter what men may say. Wherever the word is, their faith will follow. And the limbs of the man sick with palsy will be well and straight. But without the word the disease will continue, and it is impossible to arise and be well. This I desire to say at some length, because the Pope and the shameless separatists are doing a great deal of damage, and in order that every one of you may be on your guard. The Pope directs neither to the Word nor to the sacraments, therefore the separatists have learned to do nothing than to speak contemptuously of the Word and the sacraments, and to cry, Spirit, Spirit! However, we know that the Holy Spirit will not carry on his work except by the Word and the sacraments. Therefore we cannot do without the Word and the sacraments, but have reason to value them highly and consider them our most noble treasure. May God give us grace that we may be, abide in purity by this doctrine to our end and be saved. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon on the text from Matthew chapter 9, The Healing and Forgiving of the Man with Palsy, preached on the 19th Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Again, for more information about the Luther Sermon podcasts or to hear more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org.